0: All right, so uh, this is week three, uh, Camp Hope. And in Camp Hope, we're talking about life on the outside. And we said life on the outside is unpredictable. You might have some bugs. You might have some poor weather. We also see that life on the outside can be dangerous. It's risky. It's costly. But if you're willing to live life on the outside, like really get in the great outdoors, then you might experience some adventure, uh, you, you might uh, see some things that you wouldn't otherwise. So there's a payoff. And I think this is a really good metaphor for life in the church. A lot of us, the life outside the church is scary. It's unpredictable. It's dangerous. But we're unwilling to go out there. So we stay inside. We We join another class. We get on another committee. We just keep doing stuff in the church and we keep it safe. But we risk not living on mission with God and not seeing God do things that we thought would be impossible otherwise. And so that's why we're drilling into this whole thing of Camp Hope, that the first week we talked about that we have been blessed, not for just for our own good, but for the blessing of others, Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. Week two, last week we talked about Jesus and uh, Matthew 25, how he talked about the poor. And so this week we want to talk about this, third, this second outward face, We did the poor last week, we're talking about racial reconciliation this week, and we'll talk about reaching the skeptic next week. So racial reconciliation, we're going to do it uh, by looking at Jonah, kind of the bigot of all bigots in the Bible. So uh, let's read Jonah chapter one together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down, and he was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and a lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. He made the sea and the dry land. Then Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. You know, reading Jonah chapter 1 this week reminded me of a letter that I uh, had read a really long time ago. Uh, Back in 1910, the Times, the Times is uh, a newspaper in London that's over 200 years old. And the Times had gone out to some of the famous authors of the day and said, hey, will you write us a letter? Will you write a response that we might publish in the paper of what you think is wrong with the world? One of those famous authors was this guy named G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton was a philosopher. He's also a Christian. And in response to the question, what is wrong with the world, G.K. Chesterton wrote this letter. It said, dear sir, comma, I am period, signed G.K. Chesterton. Did you get that? He saw what was wrong with the world was him. He was pointing the finger at himself. He didn't point the finger to the outside and say the great culture is. He didn't say that this class of people is. He didn't say this political figure is. He didn't talk in some theoretical, abstract terms. He talked in very concrete terms, and he pointed the finger at himself. Shocking, isn't it? I think it's especially shocking when you think about this whole issue of race. People got a lot of opinions about it, don't they? It's a huge issue in our country. And everybody, they want to know, they want to say what's wrong with it. They want to say how to fix it. But there's very little talk around this whole issue that it starts with us see you can't start your cultural critique until you're willing to deal with you this is what we see with jonah jonah had an opinion (laughs) and god was going to make sure that jonah had to deal with him and what you see in chapter one is that you see god's call in his first few verses and then you see God coming after Jonah in the next chunk of verses. And then you see the rescue of Jonah at the end. I mean, just look at the call of those first couple of verses. It's unambiguous. There's no confusion about who the call goes out to. It goes out to Jonah, the prophet. He's from the northern kingdom. We see him mentioned in 2 Kings. And his assignment here is to go to Nineveh. That's the where. And Nineveh is in modern day Assyria, or it was in Assyria, it's the principal city of Assyria. It's in modern day Iraq. And this was tough for a Jew like Jonah, because Assyria had made Israel a vassal state. Now, to be a vassal was a way to be under the thumb of a more powerful country, it was a way to be under their thumb, but not be utterly destroyed. And so as a vassal, Israel had to pay taxes, they had to pay homage, but in return they got protection. So it was better than being annihilated, but it's still a far cry from being self-governed. And so for the remainder of Israel's history, Israel couldn't stand Assyria. And so Jonah takes on that same posture towards Nineveh. And right there in this first few verses, you also see the what? Well, the content of his message. The content of his message is that he's to call out against Nineveh. My, at first blush, it sounds harsh, doesn't it? It sounds like God's some kind of cosmic tyrant. But isn't this really a sign of God's love for them? If God didn't care about them, he would leave them in the dark. But he doesn't leave them in the dark. He wants to send Jonah to them. And Jonah knows that God's got a heart for the Ninevites, and that's why Jonah gets so ticked off. So he's supposed to call out against it, Jonah is. And now we see the reason, the why. Why was he supposed to go there? Not just what was he supposed to do, but why? And the very end says that their evil has come before me. So God sees that things aren't the way they're supposed to be in Nineveh, and he wants to right the ship through Jonah's preaching ministry. But there's one great big problem. There's one thing that stands between God and the redemption of Nineveh. What is it? It's Jonah. And can I posit to you tonight, there's one big thing between God and the redemption of our neighborhood. Us. And the good news is that God's going to come after you, just like he came after Jonah. Jonah. He's going to overcome the obstacle of Jonah, and he can overcome the obstacle of us. I think Jonah does what we do, and he flees from the presence of the Lord. You see that in verse 3? He doesn't do it once. He does it twice. He doesn't argue with God. He runs. In fact, he runs in the complete opposite direction to Tarshish. Tarshish is in Spain, modern-day Spain. That's due west, where God's called Jonah to go to Assyria, which is due east. He literally went as far as he could in the opposite direction. He's really committed to this because the journey to Tarshish would have taken about a year. and would have cost him a bowload of money. But that's how dead set Jonah is on disobeying God. Why is he so dead set? What has made Jonah this way? It's his heart. See, Jonah suffers from racism. Now, you might think it would be more politically correct to call him a proud Hebrew, a proud Hebrew nationalist. But racism is what he suffers from. He was born that way. We are born that way, too. It's part of our sinful, sinful condition. We're born to prefer our own kind of people over people who differ from us. And that's what's going on with Jonah. But if I were God, and I'm glad I'm not, I would have ditched Jonah right there. I would have said, look, I'll just find somewhere else. I'll let that brother go to Tarshish, and he can shrivel up and die over there in Spain. I'll find another prophet. I'll call up another one. But he doesn't. He goes after Jonah, the bigot. He goes after Nineveh the evil city. So it's really God is in his mercy. His mercy's severe just like we'll see, but he's going to pursue Jonah. See God cares for Nineveh and he cares for Jonah way too much to let Jonah's rebellion derail his plan for redemption. And his pursuits disruptive. Jonah's plan is to take off for Tarshish, but God interferes with this storm. And this is where things get really interesting is when the storm comes up, doesn't it? See, during the storm, Jonah is sleeping while the sailors are actively trying to save the boat from going under. During the storm, Jonah doesn't pray. He's the prophet. He's the one who gets paid to pray. But you've got these pagan sailors praying. When you think about the storm, the cause of the storm is Jonah, and he wants to die, but you saw that the sailors want him to live. And you see in these verses that Jonah is willing to talk game about fearing God, where where the sailors are actually doing the fearing of God themselves. And then you see the captain. The captain's more concerned about Jonah's life than Jonah is. So when you compare the sailors and the captain, and you contrast it with Jonah, you begin to learn a lot. The sailors and the captain, they look like better people than Jonah. And the narrator's highlighting this on purpose. He's using this literary tool called satire. And what satire does is it comes in the back door and exposes some dark truth about our hearts. See when you read Jonah chapter one, just like we did it a minute ago, you're thinking, "Gosh, he's such an idiot." You just want to make fun of him. But then you realize, after reading chapter one and think about it for a second, you go, uh, uh, "He got me. I, I, I'm, I'm like Jonah. My life's just as absurd as Jonah's. I'm caught red-handed." See, if someone comes in the front door, they come in the front door to expose some dark truth with the tool of accusation. And it's real easy to get defensive with accusations. But with satire coming in the back door, it gets us in the are dead to rights. And this is especially true when it comes to matters of race. Because if anyone accuses you of racism, you're going to deny it. But if you use satire, the narrator catches us in the act, doesn't he? See I've been caught in the act more times than I'd like to admit. And many of you have told me stories how you've been caught in the act too. Maybe you're caught in the act as you're trying to interpret the news and then all of a sudden you're like uh, busted. You start thumbing through some resumes. You see the names and certain names you prefer over others. Uh, busted start thinking about where you want to live, where you want to take a walk, uh, busted. And when we get caught red-handed, we immediately all ask the same question. <laughs> how do I not get caught again? That didn't feel good. What should I do? I would like to suggest maybe a better question is, how do you become a different person how do you become a safe person for a person of color to be in relationship with how might you go deeper into understanding their plight see being a person that wants to address matters of race with the gospel is to adopt this certain consciousness as you live in the world it's not about just having something you do that you can check the box and get away with it But race addresses every area of our lives that we live every single day. That's why we need this consciousness. That's what's going to lead us to pray for the injustice. And being a person who wants to address race with the gospel means that you're on high alert for your inner Jonah. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not a racist. I don't go to KKK rallies. I don't use racial slurs. I'm not violent towards those who are different than me. Well, I hear you. But what you're doing is you're just comparing yourself to other people. But Christians are forced to accept what Jesus says. And Jesus says that we're really bad off. See, in Matthew 5, he says that you're a murderer if you've just hated someone. He says you're an adulterer if you've just lusted after someone. That means if you've prejudged someone based on the color of their skin, then you've suffered from racism. But here's the really good news. The good news is that God pursues people who suffer from racism. He pursued Jonah and he'll pursue you. He saved Jonah and he'll save you. That's what we see in verses 15 to 17. And God gets what he wants in his pursuit. He gets the sailors and he gets Jonah. The sailors are rescued when Jonah's tossed overboard and Jonah's rescued when he gets swallowed by a whale. Otherwise, he would have drowned. But look at verse 5 and then verse 10 and verse 16. At verse 5, verse 10, and verse 16, you're going to see the word afraid. And the people who are afraid in all three of those instances are the sailors. In verse 5, they're afraid of the storm. Verse 10, they're afraid of Jonah. So you would think if the storm dies down and Jonah's thrown overboard, that they won't be afraid anymore. But in verse 16, they're more afraid in verse 16 than they ever were in verse 5 and verse 10. Verse 16 says that they're exceedingly afraid, even though there's no more storm and Jonah's been thrown overboard. How can that be? It's because they had a willing substitute. See, Jonah wasn't coerced. He didn't have to have his arm twisted. He just said, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. And so the sailors realize right there that there's a real God with real wrath against real sin because they see God coming after Jonah for his disobedience but they also see something else they not only see a god who will punish sin they also see the love of god they see that they see that god's willing to accept jonah's loving sacrifice and so when we when we realize that there's a god who takes sin seriously enough to punish it but he loves us at great cost to himself then we too end up in verse 16 we become exceedingly afraid we have this fear of the lord You might think fear of the Lord is a negative term, but it's not. It's a positive one. It means reverence and awe and respect. And you might rather just think of God as a God of love. He is just a God of love. He is a God of love, but he's more than that. See, if you have a God of love, then it may be hard for you to conceptualize a God who also punishes sin. And so you begin to take God's grace for granted. But on the flip side, if you only think God as someone who punishes sin but doesn't love, then you will be extremely anxious. You'll be petrified every time you sin. But when you combine combine them both, you have this fear, the same kind of fear you see in the sailors in verse 16. But Jonah 1 isn't the only place that we see a willing substitute. You see a greater Jonah right here. Matthew 12 that Marissa just read a minute ago. Now there's some similarities. They're both willing to give themselves up to save others. They're both willing to endure the sea. Jonah, the Mediterranean Sea. Jesus, the sea of the Father's wrath. But they're also different. That's why Jesus is the greater Jonah. See, Jonah deserved to be thrown into the sea. Jesus didn't. Jesus was the only person ever born of a woman to never sin. He didn't deserve the wrath of the Father, but Jesus endured it because he loved you. He sacrificed himself so that you might live, so that you don't have to be thrown into the sea. But think about how Jonah was saved Jonah was saved by being swallowed up by a whale. Think about it. Think about how gross it would be in there. I mean, just nasty. It had to stink. Unimaginably gross. Why did God do that? Why didn't God just throw him up on the shore to save him? I think it was so that Jonah would see how gross his heart was. That he would see that the outsides matched his insides, and that's what gets Jonah to repent. I don't know about you, but it feels like we're living in the belly of the whale at the moment, doesn't it? COVID's exposed the inequities of our world, especially in terms of race. You've got the political scene. One party patronizes race, the other minimizes it. You've got violence from Minnesota to upstate New York to Louisville to Georgia. You go on and on. But I wonder if this is God's way of getting our attention that we might see that the outsides match our insides. Maybe it's time that we say the problem with race in America is me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. <laughs> that's, that's our only hope for ever pointing the finger at ourselves. Lord, that we would get out of trying to justify ourselves at every turn. But, Lord, this is really an opportunity to depend on your salvation. Oh, Lord, we, we need your help. We need your help as individuals. We need your help as a church. We need your help as a city. And so, Lord, would you save us? We pray these things in your name. Amen.